it's, it's a bit like skiing down a hill. You don't just go in a straight line. You have to change direction. So you have to start going down the slope, you know, sideways, and then you turn and then you go in another direction. And so your destination won't just be a straight line. And that's what I found. Are you perhaps dreaming of chucking your career out of the window and reinventing yourself in a brand new space? That's what today's show is all about. I'm Lee Glazer and you're listening to Second Breaks, a weekly show where we explore stories of people navigating a changing world of work and thriving in their chosen careers. This is episode number 99. Have you ever imagined yourself doing something entirely different from the work or the career that you're doing today? Maybe you've been an accountant for all your professional life and you're beginning to think, I cannot possibly be an accountant for the rest of my life and you're wondering what else is out there. I certainly was in that spot some years ago. It wasn't that I hated my job or the career that I've worked very hard to build. It was more that I had this sort of nagging question that sounded like, hmm, I wonder what else can I do that is nothing like this? So that was kind of like the question that I kept asking myself. Now, in the land of pivots, a full-on career reinvention is the most challenging one to carry out. That's like you're attempting a reverse four and a half somersault in the pike possession, which apparently is the most difficult dive to pull off, you know, supposedly. I don't know. I'm not a diver. I'm just going to trust Google. But anyway, I'm going on and on about this because my guest, Joanna Penn, did one of those somersault in the bike position kind of things, metaphorically. Now, if you're a frequent listener and that name sounds familiar to you, it's because I've often mentioned Joanna as one of my role models from afar. I follow her closely on the interwebs. I listen to her podcast. I read her posts, etc. And in fact... I credit finally overcoming my fear to start this very podcast to her podcast, which is called the Creative Pen Podcast. And I've talked about that a few times before, so I'm not going to rehash that story today. Suffice it to say, I'm beyond thrilled and proud that I have Joanna on the show. Do you know what? Let me just get this out of the way so you can hear what a fangirl I was when I interviewed her a few weeks ago. I just want to say I am, you're one of the people I consider my role models from afar. I'm very inspired and admiring of the work that you are doing and how you've been able to recreate and reinvent yourself in your career, in your writing career, in your publishing career, and everything that you're, you're doing. I'm very inspired. In fact, this podcast is a direct result of that inspiration. So... I just wanted to be able to tell you that on this podcast and have my two seconds of fangirl moment. Well, that's so sweet of you. And I think really important for for everyone listening, I guess, is you took action from a podcast. So I hope many of the listeners from your podcast will listen and go, wow, you know, I could do this too. So, you know, good on you. And and as I was saying before we started recording, I actually asked you if I could come on your show. So it's like you forgot to ask me in the end and I had to ask you. All right, now that that's out of the way, I can now talk about the show properly. 
Joanna Penn today is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling thriller author. She left her corporate career in IT consulting in September 2011 when she became a full-time writer. But this reinvention did not happen overnight, nor was it a straight line. And in this episode, you're going to hear Joanna's career change journey, how long it took her, what all she tried before she became a full-time writer, and how she overcame her initial sort of insecurities or blocks about being a fiction writer. We also talk about the challenge around seeing yourself in a new identity and becoming that person, the discipline that she applies to her work today, and how she maintains a positive outlook through all the changes that's going on in the world and in her chosen industry. Now, one thing, the backdrop of her story is her transition to a writing career. But even if you've got no desire to be a writer, I think you're going to find this conversation relevant. The context may be writing because that is the work that she does, but the experiences and the lessons learned apply no matter if you want to be a chef, a nurse, or if you want to go back to school and become an accountant. Now, this show, Second Breaks, is brought to you by Ants Thriving. Ants Thriving is a professional network supporting people who want to thrive in their chosen field of work. Ants Thriving members get access to one-on-one mentoring, resources and tools for designing and planning their career move, and the opportunity to create valuable professional connections. This is actually a good time to explore if Ants Thriving is right for you because we are open for founding members this month. So be sure to check it out. You can learn more about Anthriving at andthriving.net. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Now, by her own account, Joanna was a successful IT consultant. Now, she certainly worked hard to achieve that status, but she wasn't happy and she longed to do something else. Something that had nothing to do with writing technical specifications and implementing systems for large corporations. I was a business consultant like you and where you were at PwC, I was at Accenture, which was a very similar company, you know, same kind of setup, accounting, consulting. And I went into that from university and, uh, you know, well-paid job and everything, just not satisfied with my life. I was miserable from the perspective of I wasn't creating anything in the world. I wasn't I just felt even though I was achieving everything that people said you're meant to achieve I just felt really empty and that it was all a bit pointless and by the end of the year especially in IT uh, you know you just feel like everything's disappeared and they've upgraded and you're just like what what was I even doing for all that time so I over and over again over the 12, 13 years before I found what I was looking for, I looked at other things. And I know you talk about pivots. And so I became a scuba diving, um, I, I became a dive master and we started a scuba diving company. So I was with um, my first husband and our business kind of died with our marriage. So that there are a lot of lessons there. But I thought, oh, I'll try something I love, scuba diving, um, and that didn't work. I tried uh, property investment because I was like, this seems like a good way to make some money without spending all your time working on something pointless, and that didn't work either. Uh, so I started looking at what I what I enjoyed. And I think you're an introvert as well, and so I like reading. I like 
being on my own and I was like what can you do what are the things you can do I also like helping people Mm. so when I I always knew I wanted to get out of consulting and out of IT but I didn't know what I was looking for Um, and what I would say to people is it's a bit like skiing down a hill so even if uh, you live in Florida like you do everyone in their head can picture skiing you know you go you know um, but you don't just go in a straight line you have to change direction so you have to start going down the slope you know sideways and then you turn and then you go in another direction and so your destination won't just be a straight line and that's what I found so I didn't identify that writing was the thing until I tried some other things first and what happened was every time I did something I learned what I didn't want and some sometimes that's just as important you know so so that dive scuba diving business I learned that um having a like we rented this boat that the overheads were huge there was the boat rental insurance the stuff the staff the time it was crazy the price of fuel like never ever have a business that's dependent on the price of fuel (laughs) so so I and I learned from that that I didn't want to have a physical business and then the property investment I learned that I really wasn't that interested in property like you have to care about how much the painters and stuff like that I was like no not for me and eventually I I kind of I started reading self-help and then I thought oh I'll write a self-help book on career change and see what I want to do and then it turned out that actually writing was what I wanted to do so it was quite a long journey I think it's amazing uh, when you were talking about trying different things. For a long time, I thought I wanted to own a coffee wine bar. And then mm. I, I told pet everybody this is what I was going to do. And then my sister o- opened a restaurant and I helped her. And then after helping her for about a month or two, I said, this is not the kind of problem. I, I don't want this life. But it's interesting. So what, what, what did you think it was going to be? I think I was focusing on the romantic side of owning a coffee and wine bar. It's the, it's the choosing the coffee beans. It's the choosing the kinds of wines that you're going to offer your clientele or those kinds of stuff and not the operational day to day. Real. Having to actually serve other people. Right. Actually, that's another thing I learned from the scuba diving business is I don't want to be in customer service. Because yeah, because the energy of an introvert is that you can't you can do stuff like this. And you know, I'm not shy, I can do stuff with people, but it I don't want to do it all the time and I only want to do it when I have the energy. So to be behind a coffee bar all day would just be a nightmare, right? I mean and also the other thing I think is important is so if you love something that doesn't mean you can do it for your work. So the same with scuba diving, right? I love scuba diving, but doing it for my work meant that I ended up hating scuba diving. <laughs> And how much of it are you actually doing the diving as opposed to running the operations in the fear, right? Yeah, I want to be drinking the coffee and the wine, right? (laughs) Actually, if somebody else is owning a coffee and wine bar, you can hire me to be the one to choose the wine. (laughs) That's what I'll do. (laughs) Or you could could pay me to come and drink your coffee and your wine. I could be the taster. I love that, actually. you first wrote your nonfiction book and then I heard you at one point you said something along the lines that initially you couldn't see yourself as a fiction writer I I I from hearing different people talk about 
kind of what they want to do with them with their careers, I often see that this is a challenge, like being able to see yourself as something different from what you already are because of your education, because of the work experiences that you already have. And so seeing themselves as something else is so challenging. So I was wondering, because you went through it, if you wouldn't mind sharing how you overcame those initial sort of, if I could use the word insecurity around, can I really be a fiction writer? By the time I started doing fiction or even thought about it, I'd written a couple of nonfiction books. Mm -hmm. So this is now a couple of years later. I still have my day job. So and this is a really important thing. So I had my day job for five years before I left it to become a full time writer. But um, I ne I literally never thought I would write fiction. I didn't believe I was creative at all, which is hilarious because my business is now the creative pen <laughs> and it's a good name. <laughs> um, but I really, I didn't have any ideas. I didn't uh, know the skills of writing. I respected fiction writers in such a deep way mm -hmm. that they seemed like another uh, another group of people that I could never be in that way. I had no friends who were fiction writers. I hadn't done any training around fiction. You know, the, tra the training in inverted mm -hmm. commas we get is at school. You know, it's like write this story. And but because I also I went to Oxford University, you know, and I the the background I come from, my mum was an English teacher, was very much that it had to be literature. That if you were gonna write a novel, it would have to be prize winning literature, you know. And if it wasn't John Steinbeck, then what was the point? You know, or Hilary Mantel, then what was the point? And so those things all bound themselves up in my head um, so that I could never even see myself in that way, as you said. But then I had started my blog uh, at The Creative Pen and I'd written these nonfiction books. So I understood that you could turn what was in your head into a physical book. Mm. So um, for anyone on the video, there's my books behind me. So what's so lovely about a book, unlike an IT job, is what's in your brain becomes real in the world. And you can say, I made this. So I understood that the things that I thought from a nonfiction perspective, I could turn into a book. And then it was a case of, okay, so maybe I just need to learn what it takes to write a novel um, or some kind of story. So the also someone told me on a podcast because <laughs> you can change your life on your own podcast. Um, my friend uh, Tom Evans at the time said that I had a block around fiction and that I was putting the blocks in my own head that I couldn't do this. And when he challenged me on that, I'm someone who doesn't back away from a challenge, right? I had thought I wasn't that person, but then I realized he was right. There was a block there. So what I did, I think that was around the August. So what happens every year in November is National Novel Writing Month, which is nanorimo.org. I'm sure you can put the link in the show notes. Um, so every November, the aim is to write 50,000 words of a fiction project. There's also nano, non-ficmo and all these other things. But um, so I was like, OK, well, I'm going to give it a go. So this is another tip. If you're if you don't think you can do something, then give it a go anyway. <laughs> it's a bit like the skiing. It's right, like you right. just have to you have to start moving in order to change direction. So I was like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. So this was 2010, I think it was. No, I think it was 2009. Uh, so I did NaNoWriMo. I, I did 20,000 words 
uh, of which about 5,000 became the seed of my first novel, Stone of Fire. But what I also learned from doing that was that if I forced myself to sit down and write some words, some of those words could be turned into something that someone might want to read one day. Um, so the realization there was, okay, so I just need to sit down regularly and do the work. And that is actually the truth of being a writer. That's literally it. And you've written a couple of books, haven't you? I yes. Think you, yeah. You just have to make the time and sit down and do the work. But then also I went and booked a course on how to write a novel. And this is the other truth of writing fiction. There are many differences between writing fiction and nonfiction, and you have to learn some new skills. So, for example, you have to write dialogue, which most people don't do in nonfiction. You have to have characters. You have to have a story arc. You might have to have a different world. So, I learned those things and then I kind of got got hooked on on fiction and I'm writing, what is it, my 18th novel at the moment. Sometimes when we are attempting to do something different, we, we look externally for sort of like validation. Um, I don't actually know if I've shared this in the podcast ever before, but I had actually joined a writing group for a fiction story that I was working on and it was devastating it devastated me I think it was too early for me to join a writing group because instead of feeling motivated it just devastated me so anyway I was just wondering whether what what amount of external sort of getting feedback validation were you doing in the early days that is a really good point I'm so glad you brought that up um I have never been with a writing group like that and the reason why is a couple of reasons. And if people listening have a fantastic writers group, then awesome, good on you. Mm -hmm. But often the experience is exactly what you felt. And often the reason why people who are in writing groups, they're not actually writers. They're people who are writing, they might be writing, but are they actually published authors? Are they professional editors? Are they people who love your genre? So this is a really big point, right? So what, what genre were you writing? Are you writing? A mystery, it's sort of whodunit type of thing. Yeah, so a mystery book, right? So if you if you go to a if you go to a writer's group that loves literary fiction, coming back to literary fiction, or a writing group um, that loves romance and don't want to see a dead body, you're going to struggle with with mystery. And similarly, the books I write are kind of that first book is in my um, kind of supernatural thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Dan Brown meets Lara Croft is the is the series, and there's ten books in that now. And uh, you know that is if I went. To to a a group who didn't like that kind of writing, they're going to knock it down. So in terms of the feedback that you need as a baby writer, which, you know, even though you've written nonfiction books, you're a baby writer for Mm -hmm. fiction. And and it's very, it's very personal. I know, I think fiction is much more personal than nonfiction, because parts of your brain come into it that you would never talk about normally. Um, So for me, I only ever got feedback from professionals. Mm. So I paid editors. Um, In fact, if people are interested at thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel, there's a whole like 18 months of videos and posts from the year that I did that. And uh, in it, I talk about the first edit and being devastated. (laughs) But also the devastation was not he hates my writing. The devastation was I'm not as good as I Mm. thought I was. I have so much to learn, (laughs) you know, 
But I, I worked with, I think, three editors that first year to, you know, hone my craft. And over and over again, I, I, I still work with editors. I, you know, I think editors are amazing. But I have never used a writer's group of people who don't know what they're talking about. And that's exactly what happened to me. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, regain the self-confidence a little bit to plow into it again. And, and but what you said is actually also true, regardless of whether you wanted to do writing or anything else, but any new venture that you're attempting to do is to be aware of where the feedback or the quote unquote advice is coming from. Because if they've not, you know, if they've not been there or haven't experienced it, you know, sometimes it's their own fears that are coming into the advice. Yes. Yes, that's totally right. And also that genre preference is so important. You only want someone who reads mysteries and who loves mysteries to give you some feedback. The other thing, and it's very hard because, you know, you're you're clearly very educated and a lot of people listening will be educated and experienced at their job. So what happens is, say you've been working for 20 years in, corp- in corporate, you're very very good. You're paid at your the, a high level. Uh, you're respected. You have self-confidence in your job. And then you try and write a couple of thousand words of a story and you feel like, oh my goodness. I. It's almost like you go from the top of a ladder all the way down to the bottom and you realize that you have no skill in this area at all. And that's why this is very hard because, especially if you want to change your career to become a writer, because you don't just leave your job and start at the top of the other ladder. You have to start at the bottom of the ladder and you, you learn by writing. So I'm now, after you know 10 years, really still insecure, still worried, but at least I know that my readers like my work and I know that I become a better writer. And I look at Stephen King, so you know, one of my kind of, you know, who I would love to pitch me to be on my podcast. <laughs> um but he might be my dream but I look at him and I'm like do you know what he started when he was 14 he's in his 70s so he's got 60 years of writing experience you know I have 10 I can't compare myself to Stephen King all I can do is compare myself to who I was 10 years ago so that's what you need to do with your fiction or if you if you want to Mm -hmm. is just think look I'm just a baby and I'm just starting out I'm at the bottom of this a journey or the beginning, let's say the beginning of a journey, you know, in a more positive way. Do I want to learn these new skills? Do I want to investigate this more? Instead of thinking it as like a negative thing, think, oh, I love learning new things. I'm going to investigate this as a way to develop myself and my confidence. And when when I'm ready with a first draft, I'm going to share it with a professional editor first. And even though that might be expensive for your first book, often it's the, this is the sad thing as well. Often your, your first book is where you're learning the most, right? So it can, working with an editor can be more expensive, but that's a, an investment in your future writing. So that's how I think about it. Oh my goodness. That is golden. And what you said about when, whenever we're changing careers or changing direction, because you're coming from a space where you know what you're doing. I you were saying that and I'm like she read my journal I swear to god she she this is exactly how I felt I was like I was here and now I'm like I don't nothing yeah and I think that um I did blog about my first year as a full-time entrepreneur as well the same thing happens whatever business you're starting I think the first year you leave that job that job where you were probably at the top of 
a pinnacle mm-hmm. in some way. There's always more places to go. But, you know, you've, you're like, yeah, I'm successful. If you leave that, even though you want to leave that, there's still an adjustment period. There is a loss of self-esteem. There's, you know, a loss of, of even like I lost my commute. And although at first I thought that was a good thing, I ended up commuting to a library in town because I was just, otherwise I was stuck at home going yes. nuts. So I used to leave work with my husband, home with my husband, go to this library, you know, work in specific time periods because you need some kind of structure. And the same now as a writer, you know, I have to have structure or I just would get nothing done. Exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of structure, Joanna, because that's another thing that I'm, uh, I am uh, very inspired by how you do your work, because the work that you've chosen to do is very solitary and to a large degree you it's self-imposed deadlines right you you say this is how many books I'm going to write this year and this is when I'm going to publish them and how do you how do you maintain that level of focus and consistency because it's when there is no boss saying Joanna you have to finish this in two months or in five months right well I think in a way there is a boss because I have to pay the bills (laughs) Yes. I mean, the reality of running your own business, of course, is you're running your own business. And uh, my husband also left his job. He worked for Deloitte, another management consultancy. So he he left his job in 2015. So I had four years on my own and we've had four years um, together. And uh, so all of our money comes from the business Mm. um so in a way I do have deadlines because I look at my cash flow (laughs) but um other than that I think it comes down to the fact that I said earlier that I thought I would never have any ideas and what what's happened now is I have so many ideas I I want I have so much I want to write that I'm the trouble is what what to write next the trouble is how do I do this fast enough um you know how do I get this out my head so I can work on the next thing or how do I I've always got six or seven different projects I want to write but this is another little tip for people you you will be most successful if you work on one at a time if you try Mm. and write more than one book at a time you'll you will really struggle unless they're super different like a non-fiction and a mystery um fair enough but um you know so I try and keep my project so I'm writing first draft fiction at the moment a dark fantasy novel and I'm not writing anything else uh, I'm just focusing on that first draft and get that out of my head. Um, so that's another thing. I guess I have so many ideas and I'm very concerned with body of work around. Um, oh, I, I'll show you. Have I shown you? Well, not you personally, but I, I on my desk, um, I have this this sugar skull. Can you oh, see that? Yes, I can see it. I've not yeah. seen it before. Okay, wow. Yeah, so I put it on my Instagram channel. So I have that. So for people who are listening, it's a, a skull um, with butterflies on. It's very colorful. So it's a kind of Mexican um, Day of the Dead skull. Yes. Because I'm very aware of time and, um, you know, they're called memento mori or remember that, that we will die. And time is so short. And I want to create. I spent 13 years in a job I hated. I can't, I don't want to spend any more of my life doing that. So Mm -hmm. every day 
I'm driven to create something new in the world. And I consider podcasts to be part of my body of work as well, because I feel like they help people. You know, listeners may never read either of our books, but maybe something we've said will help them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I want to put new things into the world every day. So so there's those two sides. There's the, yes, I do run a business, I need to earn money. And then there's also the creative, the, the need to build and measure my life by what I create. You know, one of the things that I love about listening to you on your podcast is how positive you always are with respect to just the changes that are happening in, in your industry that you're working, but just generally, like, like all these, this crazy changing world that we live in. And rather than be focusing on the challenges that these changes bring, you, you almost always, in fact, I haven't actually, I don't remember hearing you focus on the challenge, but you always focus on the opportunity that a particular change uh, means or, you know, so when, when Amazon changes something or whatever is happening in the publishing industry, you're always looking for the opportunity. And so, I was wondering, tongue in cheek, are you just really just a positive person? Or is this something that you actively sort of work on? How do you stay positive? Because there's so many changes. And how can we like some of the changes aren't on the surface don't look sound good? I guess there's a couple of answers. So one, I, I think I am an, a naturally happy person. You know, they say that you have a, a point where you sit in the world, whether you win the lottery or you end up in a bad accident, a lot of, you know, you have a kind of happiness point. And I, I'm a really happy person. But also, um, when I looked at doing a podcast and a business online, I learned a lot about personal brand mm. and curation of your personal brand. Now, I'm very authentic. I, you know, you've been listening to my show. I'm, this is me. This is me. But this is not me all the time. Um, you know, I have down moments, uh, you know, when some political things have happened, I've, I've cried as much as anyone else. You know, I get angry, all these things, um, frustrated. Uh, but because I chose from day one to have a positive personal brand, I don't, I don't share those moments until I have something that's positive for people to learn from it. So I, you know, you will have heard me talk about my mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, um, but but I share my mistakes and my misery from the perspective of this is what I learned from it. So I don't share it at the time. I I will share it later. So for example, my book, The Successful Author Mindset, is full of my fear and self-doubt and all the awful things that you feel when you're writing, some of the things we've talked about today. And but I didn't really talk about it until I was ready to share that book. Ah. So you see what I mean? So I, I think if you choose, you have to choose the energy you put out on the internet because the internet is one of those things you're talking about. It can be amazing and brilliant and creative and fantastic, or it can be a cesspool of <laughs> really horrible, evil stuff. So you have to choose which part of the internet you want to live in, right? You want to choose where your energy is going to sit. And um, it might be a bit woo-woo in a way, but you know the energy you put out there is the energy you're going to get back. So 
I chose from day one to put out positive energy. And yeah, there are, sometimes I look at some of the stuff going on and I just go, okay. Um, and then I try and think about my audience. How can I spin this in a way that will help them as opposed to wallowing in self-pity? And one, one other tip I would say is I do not watch TV news. Never. I haven't watched TV news for, I don't know, eight, eight years or something. Um, I do read headlines uh, on um, newspapers on my phone, um, but I will not watch the TV news because I think the relentless cycle of negativity and hype is what is making a lot of people scared at yes. the moment in the world. And most of it, I mean, you know, there's so many great things going on that the news just never reports. So I just prefer to cut that out my life. And it's a bit like curating your brain, curating your input and curating your output. And that's actually a good point, too, because um, you are exactly how I hear you on the podcast and how, how you show up on social media. No one would ever say that you are not authentic, but authentic doesn't mean sharing every ball <laughs> that happens yeah. to you when it's happening to you. Yeah. And it's also, I think we, at the end of the day, you know, we podcast and we write books and we blog for ourselves, but also we're doing it for other people. So you have to think about what other people might get out of it. And um, yeah, so I, I think that hopefully that helps. You, you have to think about your audience. And if you're in a kind of self-help niche, like we are um, with, with non-fiction, then you have to help. <laughs> It was like, is it at an 11, 12 year journey for you now? For you now? It's, it's kind of like yeah, that, Yeah, something right? like that. Yeah, yeah, 2006, I started yeah, yeah. writing. Yeah, really. <laughs> so um, looking back, what do you think helped you the most during that transition? I would say my mom um, would help, would definitely, the way I was brought up, so my mom was a single mom, and uh, so we looked after ourselves a lot when we were kids, you know, back in the day when it was all right to leave your kids at home <laughs> to make their own dinner. Um, and my mom, my mom was, you know, worked really hard and did her best for us. And uh, I learned to be very independent and also to be an independent woman financially. Mm. So I've always been very driven to be independent. Um, I'm very happily married. This is, you know, not about that. It's more about um, having the she always said, you know, you can you can do anything, but you have to do the work. So my, I have this kind of work, a probably workaholic mother <laughs> who's brought me my, both the good side. I probably do work too hard, to be honest, um, but I love it, you know. And so I think the attitude of you can do this and you can be independent, don't wait for someone else to make it happen for you. Mm. I think that's probably the thing that has helped the most. So when you think of the timing, I self-published before it was trendy or be before the Kindle or before the the iPhone. I self-published before the iPhone. It's kind of crazy. I've got it here. Uh, before audiobooks were on the phone, before podcasts. Um, so I first pub I, I looked at publishing back when I had that first book and that it was going to take two years or something to get mm -hmm. a book out. I was like, no way, I'll just do this myself. <laughs> and then with a podcast, I was like, I should start a podcast because I wanted to, I want to talk to people because otherwise I won't learn and I won't have any friends. 
<laughs> and so I just started a podcast and I learned how to do that. And and literally, I've just learned all this stuff along the way. So I think that attitude of independence and wanting to and just getting on with it as opposed to waiting is is probably the thing that's that's helped the most. But then let's face it, the other thing that's changed is publishing has changed. Um, so whereas that first book, I had to print 2000 books and have them in my garage. That was the only way to do it back then. Now I just upload a file to all of the amazing sites we can use. And I've got print books, hardbacks, audiobooks, ebooks, and I've sold books in 86 countries in the world. And so I can make a living as a writer in this new economy, which if I had been a writer 25 years ago, as we said, wouldn't have been so possible. You are a writer and a reader. I know you read a ton of books, but would you mind sharing maybe a, a fiction or a nonfiction book that has meant a lot to you or has made such an impact uh, to you that uh, you wouldn't mind recommending to us? Yeah, sure. So, well, one of the books um, that I still recommend is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, uh, which I first read when it came out sort of 11 years ago. And they, they've had a 10th anniversary edition. Um, but essentially, it's uh, the, the first principle is take 100% responsibility for your life. And that made a big impact on me because I was blaming other people for where for the career I was having. I was like, how have I ended up here when I, you know, I didn't feel like I'd made any choices. And yet, I had obviously made choices that that led me to that point. And that was the book that helped me to see that I needed to make new choices in order to change my future. So that's a really um, awesome book. Um, the other book I recommend for people who are, I guess, kind of need a, a kick up the butt, <laughs> let's say, uh, would be Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield, which is um, definitely a bit more hardcore for writers, um, but also can help with anyone who wants to take a more professional attitude towards something that might be a hobby right now. And there's nothing wrong with having a hobby. So one could say that your mystery um, writing is a hobby for you at the moment. And then, but if you wanted to make some money with your mystery writing, you definitely could, but you would have to change your attitude you would have to learn you would have to put work out there so that book turning pro is um a really good sort of uh you know way forward in in that way can i just tell you this week is my podcast interview i do blocks of like when i do my interviews you are the third person this week so this is probably a sign third person this week who said the jack canfield book it oh, is really? a sign to, like, I have, has never happened where three back-to-back -back interviews who recommended that book. So it has to be a sign for me that I should read it. <laughs> wow. That's, especially because it's an older book yeah, as well. exactly. It's not a new book. Um, so, yeah, and I, I'm, Jack Canfield uh, was Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, guy originally. Um, he's obviously a lot more than that now. But it's interesting because he, Chicken Soup for the Soul was rejected by some, you know, hundreds of public. 
His publication story is very interesting in itself Um, and also his business model, because like similar to us, I guess he has multiple streams of income, multiple businesses. Um, So, yes, it's a great book. I hope you hope you get it and find it useful. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly, Joanna, would you mind telling us uh, where we can find you online? And also, I mean, your your podcast is the Creative Pen Podcast, which I'll put a link um, on the show notes. But where can we find you online? Yes. Yeah, so, well, at thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N. Uh, so lots and lots of stuff there about writing and publishing and book marketing, etc. Um, and then my books, I do nonfiction under Joanna Pen, and that's on all the usual places. And my fiction is JF Pen, um, and uh, again, all the usual places. And if people have questions, probably the best place is Twitter at thecreativepen uh, with a double N. So there you go. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how happy I am. So thank you so much for for joining me and for sharing your thoughts with me and your experiences with me today and sharing it with the Second Breaks podcast audience. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, Lou. That was great. I hope you found this conversation with Joanna Penn useful. For the show notes and links to all that we mentioned in today's show, you can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts and look for episode 99. If you'd like to connect, you can find me and DM me on Instagram at Blazer. I'd love to hear from you. That about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. I will be back next week with the 100th episode of this podcast. And I have something special for you, so I hope you'll come back for that. If you are not subscribed yet, now will be a good time to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the future episodes, including episode 100. Until then, keep on making a dent, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.